Welcome back, everybody, to a special episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Uh, tonight, we're going to be discussing the upcoming Game of Thrones finale and the kind of the history of the story, both the show and the book series. And so, as usual, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey, and today I have some very special guests with me. Uh, my fantastic wife is back on the podcast, making her return after the Wrinkle in Time episode, Lauren McCaffrey. Hi guys. And once again, our sound engineer, Patrick McCaffrey. Here to lend whatever wisdom I may. <laughs> Excellent. And a first-time guest of the podcast, Peter Goble. Hi everyone. I guess I'm here to offer the non-McCaffrey perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, so we have kind of a, an, an interesting group of people here uh, as far as how we've all approached... Uh, George R. R. Martin's story, A Song of Ice and Fire, and the Game of Thrones HBO show. And so I, I kind of want to get everybody's perspective. You know, how, how did you start uh, with this story, Peter? Uh, so I, unlike many of you, am not a book reader, at least not the Game of Thrones series. Um, it's something that I'd be interested to get into at some point, but I began watching this show because my friends watched the show and I got hooked. All right. Uh, Pat, what about you? Well, I started reading A Song of Ice and Fire back in 2011, right before the first season of the show came out, on your and my brother Matthew's recommendation, if I remember correctly. And I was a book reader up until... I'd read all the books before watching their corresponding seasons, up until the book stopped. Okay. And then have continued on with the show. Mm -hmm. Lauren? Uh, I started with the books when a friend gave the first one to me in 2009, and then took forever to finish them and didn't watch the first few seasons of the show until Hard Home, I think, because it wasn't on screen in the books. Okay. Yeah. And, and so for my part, I started, I can't remember if it was 05 or 06. Uh, it was soon after A Feast for Crows came out because I remember reading that, uh, that very frustrating author's note at the end of it, where he talks about <laughs> how, uh, a Dance with Dragons was going to be out the following summer, and I think it was dated June 2004. And of course, we all know what a lie that was now. Uh, <laughs> it took another seven years for A Dance with Dragons. Um, but but then, yeah, I started watching the show when it came out, and, and I've continued with it, and I've kind of come to terms with the fact that I don't think I'm ever going to read a, The Winds of Winter or A Dream of Spring when they come out. Uh, I'm okay with taking whatever ending we get from the HBO show and and uh, using that as kind of my wrap-up for this very, very long journey I've been on. If we ever get the books. That's, yeah. That's yeah. another. Yeah. And, um, and so that's what I wanted to bring up next, is, is kind of how exciting this is that we're getting an ending to this story. Yes, you know, finally. It's, you know, it, it really is a question up in the air uh, whether or not George R. R. Martin will ever finish these books. Uh, there was a rumor going around recently, I don't know if you guys heard, the actor who played Baristan Selmy uh, was at a you know convention or, or a talk of some sort recently, and he claimed that George R. R. Martin has already finished books 6 and 7, and has a secret deal in place with HBO to uh, hold off on releasing them until after the show. Which what? I it, I, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not real. Uh, George R. R. Martin has already come out and said, like, Come on, people, like, think logically about this. This is obviously a lie. Uh, you know, I, I have several friends who are in the publishing industry who've expressed 
complete disbelief at this. They're like, listen, the publishing industry, especially in New York, uh, is is a pretty tight knit community. There's no way they'd be keeping this kind of a thing secret. Yeah. And uh, so so if you've seen that rumor going around online, don't believe it. Uh, don't don't get your hopes up. Um, yeah, as as far as George R. R. Martin has said, he still has not finished The Winds of Winter, and he has not started working on A Dream of Spring. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're shit out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but we do have the show, and I, I want to kind of talk about how the show has has gone through you know almost eight full seasons now through the full run, um, uh, sort of the the progression of how it's gone with adapting the books and then moving into its own territory. Um, uh, Pat, uh, I'd like to hear your, your opinion on, on sort of the progression of this series. Well, one of the most interesting things about the quality of the show is that you can kind of see it rise. It, like, its ebbs and flows are almost directly correlated to how popular the show is. Interesting. Um, so, like, the first couple seasons, they're in real try-hard mode because they need to <laughs> garner an audience. <laughs> And then they hit their stride around seasons four through six, in my opinion. And that's where we get some of the very best of the Game of Thrones. And that's when really? like it was at its fever pitch, right? And then, as many people online have been discussing, the quality has, has noticeably um, decreased. Um, hmm. Maybe it's possible that their, all their victories have made them a little complacent. So you, you thought the best of Game of Thrones was seasons four through six? Yes, and I could point to many um, scenes. And this is speaking from my own personal enjoyment, where that was when they started to detract from the books and the books faded away. And so I, was, I didn't know what was coming for the first time watching the show. And that was really exciting. And still is. Sure. Uh, I, I do find that interesting because I think a lot of people will vehemently disagree with you because well, seasons <laughs> five and six are when we had that uh, horrible bungling of Dorne and the Sand Snakes and we had Ramsay raping Sansa and, and all of this. Okay, with the Dorne thing, they really didn't spend that much time on screen in Dorne. It well, was almost that's, over that's before the point. It, it was it was a complete waste yeah. of time. It was a, it was a total like disaster of a storyline. Even that... non-book readers like Peter kind of felt bored by the Dorn story. What do you think? You know, I think that uh, seasons five and six I would generally describe as slightly weaker than a little bit earlier three and four. I might agree with you that through the first two seasons we were kind of in ramp up mode, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I would maybe put the uh, quality of the show peaking a little bit earlier than you, but. Okay. I, I am interested watching in these last couple seasons how they've transitioned into a storyline beyond where the guidance from the book goes. Mm. And I feel like even as somebody who's not read the series and read very little of George R. R. Martin, I can tell that that guidance is gone, particularly when it comes to the dialogue. Yeah. It seems to me that in the most recent, recent seasons, characters don't have as much of an individual voice as they used to. They still do, but it's a little bit hollowed out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Lauren, what do you think? I don't think I'd go back and watch. I liked the books a lot, and I liked some of the stuff they did with them, but I'm excited that we get a conclusion, even if it's a bad conclusion. I might just see it as, like, alternate universe and then read the books and hopefully the things I want to happen, happen. The chips are still up in the <laughs> air. Should the books ever come out. Should the books yeah. ever come out. Like the like Daenerys' Targaryen coin. 
Yeah. The, uh, it's, <laughs> well, I guess that's landed, but yes. <laughs> the, the, when all all is going to be said and done in about a week, as far as the show is concerned, and really it's up in the air. Like what they do with this last episode, in my view, is either going to make or break everything that's ha- all the complaints that people have had with these past two seasons, especially I, this current season. I don't see them fixing it. Well, so you think this current season is broken? Too broken. Hmm, okay. Uh, so, on on my part, I do think the peak of the show was in seasons three and four. I think it was the storyline from A Storm of Swords, which is the strongest book in the series. Uh, uh, it, it was a, a clear, I thought, downhill trend after that when they got into the Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons material and then off into their own stuff. Um, th- that's not to say that I, I don't like it. Uh, Overall, I, I've still enjoyed the show. Uh, as Pat said, there, there are some scenes in those seasons, Hard Home specifically, that mm-hmm. I absolutely loved. Getting to see that battle was was you know shocking. Yeah. That first time, I I will never forget watching that episode for the first time and and that ending with the Night King raising mm-hmm. the dead. That's and, the best mm-hmm. battle in the show for oh, my yeah. money. Uh, yeah, and and so uh, I I do think there's been a decrease in quality since they moved away from the guidance of Martin's material, and I, I agree with Peter. I think the dialogue has suffered quite a lot. Um, they, they've had a few moments here and there where they've rediscovered that magic. I thought yeah. there was a, a, a good bit of that in uh, episode four of this most recent season yes. where we finally got some Tyrion and various... Uh, yes, yes, that was the best dialogue of the season so far, I thought. I agree with that, yeah. and I have... Uh, particularly appreciated the humor in their feast following the Battle of Winterfell. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I wonder, now that they're away from the guidance of George R. R. Martin's books, and given how popular the show is, if they're a bit reticent about making the dialogue as harsh as Martin made it as well. You think they're trying to go for some more mass appeal? Perhaps. In- instead I- of... Well, in direct counterpoint to that, I I would say that they wouldn't have done what they did with Daenerys if they if that's what they were going for because people are pissed <laughs> that she has gone off the rails and because because they're too wrapped up and invested in her they they were kind of viewing her with these rose tinted glasses the whole yeah. time mm-hmm. and and now that it's revealed that yeah she's can be just as flawed, if not much, much, much more so than everyone else. Um, they're they're not liking it, and, but I think the move shows that the writers still have some balls. <laughs> I yeah. would actually agree to that because I feel like prior to Daenerys turning, which of course, like you said, angered many people, that this last season or two has played it somewhat safe, where mm-hmm. I think part of why we fell in love with Game of Thrones, or at least why I fell in love with Game of Thrones, was because plot armor is weak in this series yes. compared to many other major franchises, and, you know, my heart's beating a little bit faster watching the show, knowing that my favorite characters may die in the mm-hmm. episode. Now, I, I agree that this move to make Daenerys mad was not at all safe, but prior to that, in the last two seasons... I feel like the deaths have been more focused on older characters, yeah, not yeah. fan favorites. If you were above 40, yeah. like I believe you said one yeah. time, it's like, that's there's your death sentence right yeah. there. Well, and I, th- I think a big theme of, of 
this series as I see it, particularly the way that the new writers have moved it, is generational turnover. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, that's, and that's and I do agree. Yeah. I think they, they've maybe intentionally or not, I would argue probably intentionally, lulled their audience into kind of a false sense of security mm -hmm. by especially the, the Battle of Winterfell against you know the army of the undead by avoiding any really major deaths there, they, they've kind of made people lower their guards and and uh, and then <laughs> punched them in a soft spot with this last <laughs> yeah, episode yeah. by not only killing off many major characters, and but doing so in ways that a lot of people don't like. And then I think, more importantly, the, the turning of Daenerys into mm -hmm. another mad ruler. Um, Take the penultimate... Uh, so this is the the penultimate episodes of season one and, and eight. So in the in that first season we had the the biggest fan favorite Ned mm -hmm. get killed, mm -hmm. and then we have the current biggest fan favorite, not get killed but but turn, um, and just start start uh, evil. She's evil now essentially, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. There's no argument about that. Like, so I like that. They're still taking the fan favorites, but she, they didn't just kill Daenerys. They killed her in our hearts, perhaps, <laughs> for those of us who actually liked her. Um, mm -hmm. I, yeah. I will admit I was never among that number. I, I, Nor I. I've been but... firmly on Team Sansa since I uh, finished <laughs> A Feast for Crows back in the <laughs> mid-2000s. So if we want to start getting into a, little, a few predictions about Sunday's episode, speaking of which... Yeah, yeah, I, I do think we should start talking about where we think this is going to end... Uh, and and given the finale uh, setup here, where Daenerys is in what seems to be supreme control, where even those who uh, would check her power, like John or Tyrion, are uh, not trusted and have no ability to do so, uh, and and others like um, Jaime, for instance, or uh, Varys are dead. You know, how do you think this is going to play out here? Hard to say. Um, we're going to see some deaths, obviously. Uh, I don't think... I think John is going to make it, certainly. Um, because it Ooh. would be anticlimactic to kill him twice. Hmm. Uh, so I think he's safe. Um, so do you think he's going to end up on the Iron Throne, then? Not necessarily. Um, because he's so vehement in not wanting it. And even if Daenerys were removed from the picture, that would not increase his... Uh, desire for the throne in any way he the only way i could see it is if Tyrion convinces him to do it for the sake of honor and the sake of the kingdom um, yeah i'm not post, sure that uh, post daenerys i'm not so what do you think happens then like what how is this going to con conclude uh, i think daenerys is going to be taken out of the picture somehow either by Arya or perhaps bran with the machinations of sansa behind either or or of those options and then what? And then well, and then John, the and then, then who? And then John, perhaps, maybe maybe Sansa instead. How? I don't see Tyrion on the throne necessarily. I see him, uh, being the hand of the king, or queen, as the case may be. So I I personally feel that Tyrion will end up on the throne, and I'm not I'm not going to say this with a hundred percent you know like certainty. Of course, mm -hmm. you know I don't know the future, and and even I can't say with great certainty. Because a lot of the um, the signs in the books 
are not present in the, the show series, mm-hmm. that Tyrion is a Targaryen. But they did show at least that scene of him going into the, uh, you know, into the basement in yeah. Marine with the dragons and the dragons like him, uh, which is, of course, a mark of a Targaryen. And if if he does so, he holds uh, a precedent over Jon and Daenerys mm. for the throne because he's the Mad King's right. son, not Rhaegar's. As and, far as uh, the lineage is concerned, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I do think Arya is going to kill Daenerys. I do think Bran is going to warg into Drogon, and that's how she's going to be taken down. Because currently, there's there's no stopping the dragon. There's no. And, yeah. and on top of that, Bran has been built up so much and has done absolutely nothing. I cannot fathom that they're not going to use him somehow. If they don't, it's a huge mistake. And I would yeah. be disappointed if this dragon was taken down with an arrow like the other two. Yeah. But... Agreed. I guess my hot take here is I think that in some sense the throne is going to be destroyed. And I think that in some sense the current world is going to end in fire. And here's where my hot take comes Mm. from is the Robert Frost poem on Fire and Ice that Mm. the series A Song of Ice and Fire somewhat parallels where he discusses how the world may end where he talks about how ice would suffice but he believed it would end in fire. And of course, those were in the poem metaphors for like this cold, callous existence that ends the world and passion. And I think we're going to see fire, both literal and metaphorical in the last episode, taking down the world as we know it, being the Targaryen franchise. So I see both Jon and Danny dying. Okay. And I, I, see, like I see nobody ending up on the Iron Throne. I will say I do believe Jon is going to die. Uh, okay. I think Daenerys is going to kill him, and, and that's what's going to turn Arya completely and, and get her moving. She's already on she, that yeah. oh, I I, I think on she's that on that train, but she's she's not, like, you know, immediately in any position to, to kill Daenerys mm. as as of the end of that episode. Um, and, and I think if Jon goes down, because Jon, you know... He had this internal struggle in in episode five there, where he clearly wanted to do something but felt helpless, yeah, and felt dragged along. And I think he's going to find his backbone and confront Daenerys, and she's going to kill him for it. I could see that happening. Yeah, it would be appropriate if what you said, Peter, about the ending actually comes to pass, because one of the themes of the show, in fact, the overarching theme of the show, is that the quest for power is ultimately destructive and that anyone who pursues it, no matter how pure they are with their intentions to start, is going to end up just causing harm. We saw that kind of reflected in episode five's theme on vengeance. Mm-hmm. Like that was the main driving force behind that episode. And we see it play out in three different ways with Daenerys, the Hound, and Arya. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously Daenerys and the Hound both pursue their vengeance and they mm-hmm. both end up in horrible situations <laughs> because of it. But because the Hound convinces Arya not to, she she lives. Mm-hmm. So And to the criticism that Arya should have died in this episode, I think that's nonsense, and it would undercut this theme yeah. entirely if she just... She, she decided not to pursue vengeance and then just got killed anyway. Um, mm-hmm. That right. would have been a huge letdown. I agree with that. Does anyone have any theories on what the hell that horse was? Bran. <laughs> yeah, Bran seems uh, the only yeah. uh, explanation. Um, 
Because it, it does seem a very not Game of Thronesy thing. Yeah. It, it was it was very surreal, which has never been a trademark of this show. And, you know, it felt like something from, you know, Return of the King, like Shadow Facts coming out of yeah. the fog or something like that. <laughs> yeah. No, it was Shadow Facts. That's yeah. <laughs> the biggest plot twist of all. Yeah. Uh, Lauren, what do you think? Uh, How is this going to end? <sighs> okay, I see Arya killing Daenerys. Simple. Done. It's going to happen. And then I would like Jon to grow a backbone before he gets on the throne. I don't see it happening with Tyrion because he does not have the love of the people and he knows that it's not gonna last so you think john is gonna end on the throne unless sansa teleports <laughs> <laughs> which is which, possible which at this juncture. possible which would be kind of cool um, but honestly the teleportation is not as big of a deal to me as it could be like it's annoying but it, uh, so i i'll talk about the teleportation sure. and sort of the implications of it mm -hmm. and and uh what it really means for the show is that a lot of time has passed and it's it supports you know basically an, a moot point now because Cersei's dead but I, I never believed that she was pregnant uh, especially because of the teleportation where so much time had to have passed and she wasn't even showing by, yeah. by the time she died like, it, yeah. it was all a lie it had to have all been a lie I, I think that's probably the case I think the teleportation actually bothered me more last season than the current season. Oh, uh, yes, I agree. Yeah. They, I think they took the criticism yeah. to heart a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, because it, <laughs> right before uh, Viserion got wrecked by the Scorpions, I was commenting to you guys about how much, like, it, how much more believable it Rhaegal. is that... Uh, Rhaegal, excuse me. Um, that it, it's much more believable that time has passed in these journeys. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I was rudely cut off by several scorpion bullet. <laughs> yeah. And we won't even go into the, the broken physics of that. Uh, there's, there's a great article on Tor.com by Michael Livingston, who's a, a you know, medieval scholar, military mm -hmm. strategist, as well as a fantasy writer. Uh, and he's, he's done a, a few articles for Tor recently, breaking down the issues with certain things in the season. And he wrote a whole article about how the scorpions are basically impossible so I, I'd like to ask each of you a question. Um, this and the last season have been criticized to death already, um, both fairly and unfairly in my view. Now, what do each of you think is the most and least fair criticisms that you've heard thus far? Peter? Wow. Most and least fair criticisms. Um, most fair criticism, I think I'll go back to the point on the dialogue and say, moreover, just lazier writing than mm -hmm. what I presume we got in the books and what we got earlier in the um, series on TV. Um, least fair criticism from my point of view right now would be that this Daenerys thing came out of nowhere yeah. and that oh, it undermines seven seasons of character development. <laughs> Because while I did like a lot of things about Daenerys in the early seasons, and I very much saw her as a sympathetic character coming out of this situation where she's, you know, abused by her brother, abused by mm. the Dothraki, at least initially, yeah. um, and, and she comes out of that a, a strong, powerful woman, but from the time that she's in Marine, I would say there were early warning signs of yeah. her being ruthless and in some cases unjust so i was okay with with her turning 
So I, I will agree with Peter on, on the Daenerys point. I think that's the least, uh, you know, justified criticism of the show. And, and to jump off of that even more, something I've been seeing go around on the internet is that people say, like, oh, sure, there's been foreshadowing, but it still came out of nowhere because she's never uh, attacked the innocent. She's never uh, done anything like that. But what I would argue is that we saw over the last two episodes here... Daenerys stopped considering the populace of Westeros innocent. She started seeing them as her enemies. And, and that culminated in this episode where she said straight out to Tyrion, the people of Meereen rose up in support of me. The people of Westeros are not doing that. So yeah. she sees them as her enemies. They're no longer innocents. They're no longer non-combatants to her. They are people to be destroyed but because we, they're getting in her way. We know the truth. But the people who make the criticism aren't realizing that it's not their opinion of of their yeah. innocence or guilt exactly. that is the relevant factor here. It's yeah. Daenerys's. Um, and but so my what I think is the most justified criticism is uh, the end of Jamie and Cersei. Mm -hmm. Essentially, especially Jamie's end does undercut seven seasons of character development. Uh, I, I saw a great meme. Uh, you know, a screenshot of Jamie shoving Bran out the window and says, oh, you know, yes. in season one, episode one, Jamie defenestrates Bran, and this is actually subtle foreshadowing for the writers throwing out seven seasons of character <laughs> development from the window. And, uh, and, and it, that's really what it was. You know, the fact that Jamie went back to King's Landing and didn't kill Cersei completely undid all of the growth and, and, all of the point of following him as a character. If, if you were just going to keep him in love with Cersei and have them die together, there was no reason for him to be a main character in this show. Yeah, that's justified. Um, I will say, and you guys will back me up, that I've said this for eight years now, that Jamie never had a redemption arc, and this kind of proves it. Well, like, he started down the path, but there were many opportunities that we've had along, along these seasons for Jamie to do something good. And something noble, something more redemptive. And he never took those opportunities. He, he got shat on a lot, and that made him sit up and, and start viewing the world with new eyes. But that's not enough in itself. He didn't really want to change, it seems to me. See, I, I feel like the writers of the show couldn't decide. Uh, yeah. Because there were so many moments where he did begin changing. And... And especially the culmination of that was, you know, before the Battle of Winterfell, that scene where he knights uh, Brienne. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. that that whole Brienne arc with Jamie was all about him uh, keeping true to his word and and becoming the honorable knight that his facade clear back in season one mm -hmm. presented, and and building up substance behind that. And then that was immediately thrown away by him sleeping with Brienne and running off to go back to Cersei. And and I will say, like, part of this is um, an issue I have with just the general direction that they took Jamie's character arc in the show versus the books. Because the books, he absolutely has a redemption arc. Uh, and, and I think the removal of the Lady Stoneheart storyline from the series is what convinced them to just throw away what George R. R. Martin is doing with him mm -hmm. and do their own thing. And I think that was a mistake. Uh, he becomes a much less interesting character, uh, much less compelling arc, you know, for lack of a better word, because as Pat said, you know, that there's a lot of false starts and doubling back and things like that. 
there's not a real progression of his character. And, and I, I do think that's a, a justified criticism of the show. So, Lauren, we haven't heard from you on uh, most and least fair criticism, and I'm curious to get your take as well. Uh, so I agree on the least fair about Daenerys. Like, that... Yeah. That was foreshadowed. I mean, they could have shown more evidence maybe this season, I think is what people wanted, but it was there. As far as the most fair, I got a meme this morning from my brother comparing <laughs> Avatar, The Last Airbender, to Game of Thrones. And this is the animated show, not the movie. Not yeah. the disaster yeah, yeah. of a movie. But they go through the characters comparing, like, different things. For example, series-long redemption arc, not thrown in the trash. There's a character in Last Airbender, perfect. <laughs> Jamie, no. <laughs> Satisfying final battle between main hero and villain. Avatar, yes. Whites, no. Now, uh, <laughs> to, to that point, I would, I would say that one of the criticisms that I found uh, somewhat fair was the um, Army of the Dead going out too easily, that they built that up so much and then threw it away in one episode. But I, I found myself with mixed emotions about it, because I loved the way that Arya killed the Night King. Yeah. You I mean just... the physical act of, like, you know, jumping out of nowhere and then, like, doing the, the drop, <laughs> grab with a knife, and then and then the stab? Yeah, minus maybe the jumping out of nowhere, which, <laughs> in my opinion, and maybe those of you who know more about the series can correct me, seemed unrealistic given her surroundings, and... That I would chalk up less to it being a good death and more to my earlier criticism on lazy writing. That yes. it's not just dialogue, but occasionally something works its way in that just doesn't quite make physical sense. So there, like, there's a little bit of validity to that, but okay. apparently, and I haven't gone back and watched, but apparently there's a scene in the first episode where Arya sneaks up on Jon in that mm -hmm. exact place, and Jon's like, whoa, you came out of nowhere. <laughs> And so it, it gives at least some foundation for the fact that Arya has such an intimate knowledge and, and ha of um, uh, Winterfell and has this preternatural ability to sneak that, that lends some credence to that scene. Sure, On the but... whole, though, most assassins find it easier to come up to their targets when they're alone instead of surrounded by thousands sure. of ice <laughs> zombies. Not that she had much of an option. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, of course. But Lauren, Lauren, continue. Okay, I'll, I'll quickly go through the list. So, character with unique and powerful ability in, is use. Bran. No. Hopefully it happens, but Hopefully. right now, no. <laughs> Intelligent character maintains smart advice and witty humor throughout show. Tyrion. No. <laughs> Badass warrior lady in healthy relationship. Brienne. No! <laughs> yeah, that relationship ended quickly, didn't it? Yeah. Multiple seasons of build-ups to establish a character as powerful. Yurion. No! Oh, Yurion Greyjoy? Yeah. Oh, oh he, I never considered yeah. him a well, credible threat. Yeah, no, was, he wasn't. Like, I mean, he was pointless in, in, the, uh, in, in this book, or in, in the Game of Thrones show. He really didn't have much of an impact. But... But, but we are except we are, on Viserion. Uh, but we are closing uh, in on our time for this episode, where we don't want to do a, like a full hour plus, like cool. normal. And uh, uh, yeah, so I just want to say, you know, thanks for joining us. Um, 
as usual, uh, please check out our Patreon page. We have some awesome uh, benefits for the different tiers there, including you know access to our monthly newsletter, um, early access to episodes. We have some bonus episodes covering short stories that'll be up every month. Um, and and you know and and we're not using this Patreon to make money off of this. We we're really hoping that we can start paying uh, Pat, our sound engineer, and Danielle, our artist. You know. Uh, the money they deserve for the hard work they're putting in here. Please donate to the Patreon. I'm so hungry. <laughs> yeah, thanks for uh, having us. It was a lot of fun, and I do read books, so I look forward to coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll we'll have Peter back on for the Wheel of Time since he's going through the series for the first time right now. Great. Hell um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so as always, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time for our regularly scheduled programming. See you next time. Peace.